Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will continue teaching us from Genesis chapter 12, from the life of Abraham, on what to do when you're watching what you had be taken away, as we study the principles of the life of Job to the life of Abraham. Before we begin our Bible teaching program here on Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, we want to take a minute to inform you of a Jewish salvation through our Summer Blitz Outreach. Now, the Summer Blitz Jewish Evangelism Outreach started on Monday, May 11th, and it's going on in the U.S. and Canada and Toronto and Brooklyn, Baltimore, Los Angeles, Miami, Chicago, Long Island, even New Jersey, North New Jersey there, Cleveland, Hartford, Tucson, Portland, Pittsburgh, Albany, New York and San Diego, California. We've got missionaries, 111 of them out there, knocking doors, reaching well over 700,000 Jewish homes with the gospel and bringing the truth of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Continue to pray for them as they go through August. But this uh, Jewish woman was uh, reached by Israel Restoration Ministries missionaries knocking her door. She told them that, that she had believed in Jesus Christ for the past two years and even knew the story of Jesus's life. But they asked her why she had never called on him to save her from her sins. They went through the Romans Road and various other scriptures showing this Jewish woman through the Bible, even her own Bible, who had been given to her by her own housekeeper, who was a Christian. And she went through the scriptures with the missionaries And she was able to fully understand the gospel finally and desired to receive the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of her sins. And after praying, the Jewish woman was crying as she was finally calling and receiving the Lord Jesus Christ as her Savior. Now, please pray for this Jewish woman's spiritual growth as she's discipled and encouraged in her newfound relationship and friendship with God. Now, do you too have a heart to reach lost Israel, Jewish people around you that need the Lord Jesus Christ? Would you Use a free gift from Tom Cantor and Israel Restoration Ministries to reach them. Well, you can call us and get more information about the Summer Blitz and a free gospel gift for your Jewish friend. Call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Pray for the Summer Blitz outreach going on, reaching lost Jewish people. For more information, again, call us at 800-247-3051. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, teaching us from the life of Abraham on what to do when you're watching what you had be taken away as we study the principles in the life of Job and the life of Abraham. Okay, let's, uh, you all ready? Okay, we're going to continue in our book in the study of Genesis. We're in Genesis chapter 12. This is Mission Valley Community Chapel. (laughs) And you are all very welcome. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you today, this morning, Lord, with very hungry hearts, And we know, Lord, that that hunger within us can only be filled by you and your word. And so, Lord, we pray, feed us, as the song says, till we want no more. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Genesis 12, start uh, verse 10. Genesis 12, verse 10. And there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land, and it came to pass... When he was come near to enter into Egypt, that he said to Sarai, his wife, Behold, now I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore it shall come to pass, when the Egyptians shall see thee, that they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. And it came to pass that when Abraham was come into Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman that she was very fair. The princes also of Pharaoh saw her and commended her before Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And he entreated Abram well for her sake, and he had sheep and oxen and he asses and 
men servants and maid servants and she asses and camels. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Why dost thou not tell me that she is thy wife? Why saidest thou she is thy, my sister? So I might have taken her to me to wife. Now therefore behold thy wife. Take her and go thy way. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away and his wife and all that he had. Now, so far in our study, we've seen how Abraham was called to go to Canaan. We've seen how he looked forward to go to Canaan. We see how he, he got to Canaan. He tried to settle down in Canaan. And he, when he first arrived in this plain of Moray, he built an altar there. And probably, we're led to believe that probably it was the Canaanite that forced him to move on to the mountain He tried to settle down there. He built another altar there. Probably it was the famine that again forced him to to move from that mountain as we've seen how he just kept, as it says there, journeying south, looking for grazing grounds probably for his flocks. And in the end, because of the Canaanite and because of the famine, Abraham just watches the land of Canaan just slipped by. He just watches the land of Canaan just just slip out of his hands as he keeps moving south. And when we think of Abraham, when he first came to Canaan, we think of him there, we can see a happy Abraham. And as Abraham says to himself, at last, I've arrived in Canaan. Canaan is mine. And we can just see Abraham, he's, he's building the altar there, and he's getting he's setting up his household, and, he, and he's telling everybody in his household, you know what, God told me that this is the place that he's giving. This is the place right here. And, and so it's time to unpack, it's time to settle down, because this is our new home. This is a new home that God's given to us. And why should not Abraham have thought that? Because after all, who was the one who told him this is the land? It was the great Adonalom. It was the great ruler of the universe, the great ruler of the universe, the one who called him to leave Ur, and he called, and he called him, and he left. And the one that brought him through Haran, and he went through Haran and came to this land. And when he arrived there, this is the one who told him this is the land. This is it right here. You've come. So we can imagine Abraham's shock when the Canaanite shows up and tells him to get out, tells him to leave. And, you know, Abraham could have said to him, hey, what's the matter with you guys? Didn't you get the memo? <laughs> you know, didn't you get the memo from heaven? God gave me this land. And uh, why are you being so hostile? It's your fault that I'm being driven from this plain in Canaan that God has given to me. And we can imagine Abraham's shock when he settled into the mountain there, and he builds a second altar, and there's no rain. So there's no... Now there's a famine, and now he's a, and Abraham has to leave again the mountain. And Abraham could have looked up to the waterless clouds and say, "What's the matter with you guys? Didn't you get the memo <laughs> from heaven that you're supposed to bring water so I can stay here? Why aren't you giving me rain for my flocks? It's your fault. I'm being driven from this mountain here in Canaan. God gave it to me, and we can imagine." From verse 9, where it says, And Abraham journeyed, going on still toward the south, that as he was traveling through Canaan, you get that picture there, he's journeying, going still on toward the south. 
that what's happening with him is that he is watching Canaan be taken away from him as he's going on. He's watching this as it goes on. It says there in verse 10 that the famine was grievous in the land. So the famine wouldn't let Abram stay anywhere. And as he keeps on moving through, he keeps on saying, you know, to himself, what's going on here? And our hearts really go out to Abram as we see him in this state. We watch, he watches Canaan being taken away from him. You know, my, my grandparents, along with my great-grandparents, they left Lithuania, my grandmother, from Kiev, and, and she left Kiev because of Russian pogroms, pogroms, and there were pogroms, all the time pogroms. And in Lithuania, there were pogroms, so they, they came. And pogrom, that's a Russian word, pogrom, it comes from the word gromit. It means to have an organized massacre, an organized destruction of the Jewish people. So there, and there were many pogroms in, in Russia where the Russians would come into a Jewish community, they would destroy the Jewish homes, they would destroy the Jewish centers, the Jewish businesses, the Jewish properties, loot the wealth of the Jews and kill the Jews. And they were organized. That's what the word means, gromit, the organized massacre. There are famous pogroms. The, Rush, the Warsaw pogrom was in 1881, and Kiev had a couple of pogroms, one in 1905, another one in 1910. And they were organized, so the Jews always knew in advance that the pogroms were coming. And that's why they left. Many of them left and they, when they knew that. So for the Jews in the 19th and the 20th century, the pogroms meant that the Jews had to watch all be taken away from them. They knew it was coming. That's why Fiddler on the Roof, you know, they, they left early before the Russians got there, their pogrom, because, you know, must we leave Anatevka, you know, land that I love and so forth. Well, we'll have to go another place. Anyway, so that was the whole background there. And in fact, when the Russians referred to what the Nazis were doing, they didn't call it a holocaust. They said it was a German pogrom. Anyway, so they watched the, all of their possessions and everything being taken away from them. And what do you do when you're in that position or when you're Abraham and you're watching something that you had be taken away from you? What do you do when you watch what God has given to you be taken away? You know, there's one man in the Bible that had more experience going through this, you know who I'm referring to, than anyone else. Who is that? That's him. And he wrote guidance for us. He wrote some guidance for us, and he gave us four rules, we could call them, the four rules of Job. And the first three rules, turn to it, please, is in Job chapter 9, verse 12. Job gives us four rules, the Job's four rules, for what to do when something is taken away from you. And uh, the first three rules are found in in Job 9.12, where it says, Behold, he taketh away, who can hinder him? Who will say unto him, What doest thou? So Job's first rule is, Behold, he taketh away. Behold, as we know in the Bible, is always the word for stop, this is important, Look at this, consider this, it's not what you think, so really take careful note of this. This word along with Shema, hear this, is a similar type of word. We'll return with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God in just a minute. 
Now, Tom Cantor is the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries, a Jewish evangelism outreach ministry. And at the beginning of our program, we mentioned how a 26-year-old Jewish college student received the Lord Jesus Christ as her Savior. Now, you too can be an evangelist and work for Israel Restoration Ministries as a volunteer and take the gospel to the Jewish people around you. Maybe it's your doctor, maybe it's your lawyer, your neighbor, a business owner in your neighborhood, an acquaintance, a relative, someone that you know that needs to be reached with the gospel and they're Jewish. We have resources that are geared towards reaching Jewish people and our missionaries put out great gospel gifts and tracts. And in fact, we have a pack of 20 Israel Restoration Ministries fourfold color tracts. They're beautiful. They've got an Old Testament gospel presentation. You can get 20 of them by calling us now at 800-247-3051. And so he says, now Job could have said from his book in Job 1.15, I see the Sabaeans who came down and killed my servants and stole my oxen and my asses. Curse those Sabaeans. Job could have said from the 16th, 1.16, Job 1.16, I see fire from the skies that came down, burned up my sheep and my servants, cursed that fire. He could have said, for verse 17, Job 1.17, I see Chaldeans. I see Chaldeans in Alcohol. But anyway, he could have said, I see Chaldeans divided into three bands, and they stole my camels, they killed my servants, cursed those Chaldeans. He could have said in verse 19 of Job 1, I see a great wind that caused my house on the four corners to fall down and kill all my sons and my daughters, curse that wind. He could have done that, but he didn't say that. He did not say, I saw the Sabaeans and I saw the wind and the fire and the Chaldeans. But Job said, I saw God. Behold, the Lord, he said, taketh away. That was his first rule. His first rule is that when something comes to a loss, there are no second causes. There's only one cause, and that's God. Behold, he taketh away. That's the first rule. And Job's first rule, behold, he taketh away. Then, Job has a second rule for us in this verse, and it is, who can hinder him? Who can hinder him? Now, Job said, you know, Job might have said, I don't agree, but I can't hinder God. And so we have to accept it. If God is going to use the Sabaeans and the Chaldeans and the fire and the wind to take away, we have to accept it and not try to spend our lives trying to prevent it or trying to get even with them for doing that. So his second rule is, who can hinder him? And Job's third rule is, who will say to him, what doest thou? And Job's third rule is, don't question the goodness of God. Don't question the wisdom of God. Trust God that when he's taking away, it's always in our best interest. It's in our best interest. So whenever God takes something away, he's just wanting to give us an upgrade. You know, I used to do a lot of traveling, so... When the airlines want to give you an upgrade on your seat, the first thing they do is take your ticket away, take your old ticket away, and then they tear it up. That's a very disturbing sight <laughs> because they haven't given you the new, they don't give you the new ticket until they first take your old ticket and tear it up because they don't want you to have two tickets. And so if you said, you're not taking my ticket away, <laughs> I'm not giving you my ticket, I paid a lot of money for that ticket, whatever, then you don't get the upgraded ticket. See, that's the way it works. They say, okay, we'll go to somebody else, give it. So you have to give up your old ticket and watch them tear it up 
before you get the new upgraded seat. And there's those seconds there when you don't have any ticket. You know, you watched your old ticket get torn up, and then you feel the loss while they print out your new ticket before they give you the new upgraded ticket. That's, that's the time when you might say to the ticket agent, what doest thou? <laughs> you know? Well, that's the way it is with God. He takes away the old so that he can replace it with better. And that's the third rule, is that during the time when God is taking away the old, don't say to God, what are you doing? What, do you, what doest thou? Now, his first, fourth rule, you might want to turn to this, Job 121. His fourth rule in Job 121, Job said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So Job's fourth rule is, after his first rule of seeing that, it, that it's God who has taken away, after the second rule of seeing that God can't be stopped, <laughs> after the third rule of not questioning the goodness of God and taking away. But the fourth rule now is to bless God for taking away. In other words, to thank him. It's to thank him. That's Job's fourth rule. It's to not curse the Sabaeans, the fire, the Chaldeans, and the wind. And it's to not take the advice of Job's wife in Job 2.9, where she said, then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine honor? Honor? Does thy still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. No. Job's fourth, fourth rule is not to curse God for taking away. Job's fourth rule is to bless God. And he tells us how to do that. And he says, you have to consider three facts. Number one, the Lord gave. So you realize that God gave good things to us. And if he takes away... He's in the mode of giving good things, so he wants to give something better. And then number two, naked came I out of my mother's womb. So no, no baby is born with a bank account in his hand or a deed. You probably you know, <laughs> just had our daughter, a granddaughter, Kate, born on May 1st. And 15 minutes at, you know, after she was born, we go into the room there, and, and um, you know, so they're weighing her, and I said to the nurse, I said, can't you cover her up? She looks so indecent, you know. But <laughs> Why? Because naked came she into the world. And after she was born, she didn't look up to us and say, you know, I've been waiting here to declare my rights. So, <laughs> so by Job telling us that naked came we into the world, he's telling us we don't have any right. We don't have any rights to anything. Everything we've received is as King Solomon taught us, in First Chronicles twenty nine fourteen, for all things come of thee, and of thy own have we given thee. Such a great gift we give, we only give back. <laughs> Reminds me of someone we anyway, I won't tell you that story. <laughs> so that's <laughs> telling you. So well, I will tell you the story. <laughs> we were giving to a missionary one time and he says, I really want you to come here to the field. He says, I'll fly you out here first class. <laughs> he says, I'll fly you out first class. I thought we were giving to him. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But <laughs> The greatest gift that we can receive when we came into the world, when we come into the world, is God. God is a gift. He is the greatest gift that we can receive. For example, it says in 1 Timothy 6, 6-7, Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. You know, we brought nothing into the world. 
He says, again, you know, Kate didn't sit there and say, wait a minute, my bag's going to come out next. <laughs> wait for my bag. There's only one possession that we can gain in this world and take with us, and that's God. Because it says in John 14, 6, I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that's the Holy Spirit, that he may abide with you or stay with you or be with you forever. Even that, That's the only one. And, you know, my heart is particularly broken today, this morning, for a husband because of what happened. I feel so bad for him. He went to the hospital on Friday for some blood tests, and the hospital told him that she had severe leukemia, severe leukemia. So then he contacted us and said he wanted to bring her to our cancer clinic in Takati to try more natural methods, contact us, contacted them. And so they said to him at the hospital that they wanted to do a strong chemo. And I relayed on to him that strong chemo is code for strong poison. And if it was me, I would not agree to the strong chemo because if it was me, I know that I may not survive the strong chemo. And so that oncologist uh, at the hospital there told them that if he took his wife to our clinic in Takati, that she'd be dead in three weeks. And so when he heard that, he panicked, and he told the oncologist, do what you want to do with her. So on Monday mornings, there in the hospital, they gave her this strong chemo. And by Monday afternoon, she was brain dead. And the oncologist told him that the leukemia had gone into her brain and had killed her. So the oncologist told the husband that uh, at our cancer, cancer clinic with the natural methods, she'd be dead in three weeks, but he didn't tell him that with the strong chemo, she'd be dead in eight hours. So that oncologist didn't tell that the strong chemo made her brain dead. He said the leukemia reached her brain and killed her. So that poor husband is trembling in shock, married for over 30 years. He uh, asked the question, did I think there was anything, because she was on a respirator, did I think there was anything that they could be done for her to bring her back? She's brain dead, she's on an, a respirator, but was there anything that could bring her life back again? Is there any way to move the clock back eight hours just to bring her back to the way she was? I mean, what do you do when, you're, when your wife of over 30 years goes to the hospital for tests on Friday, starts strong chemo Monday morning, and is dead eight hours later. What do you do when you watch her being taken away from you? One of our employees for about 10 years, Mark, a mentally handicapped employee, one of our ARC workers, um, so cheerful, and um, he loved to run in the Special Olympics. Cheryl and I went to watch him run in the Special Olympics at San Diego State, and he ran, and he won, and there was great cheering, and pictures were taken. And that at our company breakfast, we showed the pictures of Mark winning the race, and we honored Mark for winning in the Special Olympics. And then recently, Mark, his mother's father, and his mother uh, some time ago died. And so Mark was living with his father, so it was just Mark and his father that were living together. And a couple of weeks ago, he went to our local hospital with a gallbladder attack. And the details were murky that came back. But what we were told is that everything went wrong for Mark, who within hours of being admitted to the hospital for this gallbladder, suddenly was in the ICU 
and then suddenly we heard had kidney failure, and then suddenly he had organ failure, and then he was on a respirator, and then he's dead. And so within 10 hours, less than 10 hours, Mark is dead. And so Mark's poor father, now left alone with no wife, no son, in less than 10 hours he watches his son get admitted to the hospital, and then he sees his son with a white sheet over his head. So what do you do when you watch your wife and then your son be taken away from you and there's nothing you can do? And what do you do when you watch your land that's been given to you by God be taken away from you and there's nothing you can do? And what do you do when you watch your wife of over 30 years be taken away from you and there's nothing that you can do? What do you do? That's where Job's four rules come in. Job's four rules is recognize that it's God who is doing the taking away, rule one. Rule two, recognize that no one can stop God from taking away. Rule three, don't question why God is taking away, but have confidence that it's only temporary because God wants to give a better or an upgrade. And number four, bless and thank God for taking away, recognizing that we had no right to keep what it was that was taken away, and in the end, it'll all be taken away. What a great day of studying the Bible here in Genesis chapter 12 with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And Tom Cantor is our Jewish born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as our Bible teacher, has a wonderful ministry called Israel Restoration Ministries, whom he is the founder of. He wants to reach lost Jewish people, too, because someone reached him with the gospel. Now, if you'd like to volunteer and be a part of Israel Restoration Ministries, reaching lost Jewish people and the area in which you live, we've got a pack of 20 tracks that we'd like to get to you with a gospel presentation from the Old Testament about Jesus Christ being the Jewish Messiah, call us to donate or receive resources and information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Thanks for listening.